We worship God now by paying heed to His Word, first in the reading of His Word and then the preaching of His Word. We read God's Word in Colossians chapter 4, written by the hand of Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, written to the church in Colossae, Colossians chapter 4. Pay heed to the Word of God. This is His Word. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a Master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, these only are my fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort unto me. And Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you, and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of, Laodice of, the, the, church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds, grace be with you, amen. Thus far we read the word of God, may God bless the reading of his word. We pay attention to verses 2 through 4 tonight. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. With all, praying also for us, 
that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians in order to magnify Christ Jesus. The book of Colossians is written to teach the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ for salvation and for the whole of the Christian life. And the apostle teaches that the salvation that we have from Jesus Christ is a salvation based on what he's done for us. He's redeemed us. But he also teaches that the salvation we have from Jesus Christ is what he has done in us. In chapter 1, he says, this is the mystery of Jesus Christ. And we're going to come to that later on in the sermon. And he speaks of the fact that the Gentiles have been gathered into the church with the Jews and of the fact that Christ is in you the hope of glory. And having, having taught that Christ is in us, that we have the power of Christ dwelling in us so that we live with Christ in us, the apostle goes on to explain in chapter 3, which we didn't read, but when you have time tonight, perhaps you can read chapter 3. He goes on to explain, here are the basics of the Christian life. This is what it's going to look like as you live as a Christian with Christ in you. First, the basic thing is this. You're going to seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's where your life is hid now. That's where your life is directed, to heaven. And you're not going to seek the things here below. And then, having given that general instruction, here's another basic thing. Part of seeking the things above is that you're going to put off the old man and his sinful deeds, and you're going to put on the new man, which you have been created and renewed to be in Christ Jesus. And when you have put on the new man with Christ living in you, one of the basic things is you're going to live in peace and love with the other members of the church. In chapter 3, the apostle says, this is what you're to do as the, whole, the elect, the holy people of God, his beloved. You're going to put on bowels of mercies and kindness. And he's saying, now this is especially in the sphere of the church. Among the other members of the congregation, above all, he says, put on love. Live in love with your brothers and sisters. Christ is in you. That's the way to live. And then he gives instruction about the home. Christ is in you. Wives, submit to your husbands. This is the way that you're a Christ-filled wife. And, and husbands, how are you to live as Christ-filled husbands? Love your wives and don't be bitter against them. And children, how are you going to... And note, you children, you belong to Christ and you're filled with Christ. You have to live that way. How are you going to do that? Obey your parents, father and mother. And parents, especially fathers, as Christ-filled parents, do not provoke your children 
to wrath. And then now you can see where we're coming to verse 1 of chapter 4. In the realm of master-slave relationships, or to bring it to today's language, we would say employers, employees, in the realm of work, be a Christ-filled employee, be a Christ-filled master. And, and there's certain instruction for that. And, and all of this is basic Christian instruction for these new converts in the Colossian congregation, for these Christians who are facing threats from the world and threats even from within. Epaphras is mentioned here in verse 12. You, you may know he's the pastor of the Colossian congregation. And he has gone to where Paul is in prison to report to, how, to Paul how things are going in the congregation. And he has told Paul there are false teachers within the congregation who are spreading false ideas about Christ or about salvation and about the Christian life. And the apostle is saying, here are the basics. I'm going to tell you how to live in the church, in the home, in the workplace. And now I'm going to tell you about your calling to pray. That's not surprising, is it? When you think of what are the basics of living the Christian life, one of the major aspects of living the Christian life is prayer to God. And the apostle comes with a command to pray. And from a certain point of view, we might think that should be unnecessary. Kind of, and I said this this morning in the faith congregation too, kind of like commanding children to eat candy. You wouldn't have to do that, would you? Most children don't need anyone to tell them, go eat candy. They enjoy eating candy. In fact, what we find ourselves doing often is saying to them, we know you enjoy this, but don't eat too much candy. Well, you can't pray too much. We're going to see that in the sermon tonight. But you, you pray to God. You experience the joy of prayer. And when you experience the reality of what prayer is, the power of prayer, the beauty of prayer, the comfort of prayer, you, you would think that we wouldn't need anyone to tell us, continue in prayer. But here's where there's a major difference between eating candy and praying. Eating candy is a, an activity of the flesh. brings pleasure to our flesh. We're often very attracted to those things. And praying is a deeply spiritual activity. And we wrestle, don't we, with having the desire and putting in the time that we ought to, to be involved in spiritual activities. And, and so we need this. These newer Christians in Colossae, but we too, we need the Word of God to come and remind us of the calling to pray. We, we need the Word of God to come and tell us how to pray. That's part of what we have in the text. We, have, we need the Word of God to come and encourage us to pray and to show us the beauty of prayer. That we will be driven to pray more and more, continuing, persevering in prayer. So let's hear the word of God tonight under the theme, persevering in prayer. First of all, a constant activity. Secondly, this is a, there's a specific concern in the text. 
And then thirdly, a timely admonition. Our calling as Christians is to continue in prayer. And notice, this is not a prayer request. Sometimes when the Apostle Paul calls the church to pray, that's the way it's described. This is an apostolic prayer request. But that's not the case. This is an apostolic prayer command. In the name of Jesus Christ, this is what you are commanded to do, to pray. And not just pray, but to pray constantly, to continue in prayer to God. And so, this is what we are to make a part of our basic Christian life. And when we think of what the Apostle is commanding us to do, and he says, continue in prayer, there are three ways that we ought to think of this, that we might build prayer into our lives as Christians. I'm calling these three building blocks. And these are the basics of the Christian life, important for new Christians, important for the young people and children to understand, but important for every one of us to think on and and to see that this is part of our life. First of all, when the apostle says continue in prayer, you'll agree with me, I hope, that he's saying pray daily. This this is not to be a part-time part of your life. Maybe a few days of the week, or many days out of the year, but when you are a Christian filled with Christ, this ought to be a daily part of your life so that there's not a day that goes by that you do not reach out to God and speak to Him in prayer. I said this this morning too. This is so obvious, continue in prayer, pray every day, that I even wondered about leaving it out of the sermon. But then I think about myself and how forgetful I am, spiritually weak and lazy, and and think about the sheep of Jesus Christ, and, and there may be people here who need, well, to be convicted. Have you not been praying daily? Have you been forgetting about the Lord throughout the week? Then the Word of God comes to you and says, repent. Now here's your duty. In Christ, continue in prayer. God is your friend. Your close friend. And your most important friend, remember those two things. You have friends that you don't talk to every day. And one of the reasons may be that they're far away from you. But the Bible says you live near to God. God is near to you. And there are other friends that you might not talk to every day because within the circle of or the group of friends that you have, they may not be the most important friend that you have. And that's understandable, that you don't have the same relationship with all of your friends. But prayer, covenant, communion with God as your friend is, well, communion with your most important friend. Continue in prayer. Pray daily. That's basic. Building on that, 
pray constantly every day. When the apostle says continue in prayer, the, the Greek word there means have prayer at hand. Have it ready with you. Carry it with you wherever you go. And I think we can picture it something like this. What do you, every day, say, I need to have this with me? And, and for many of us, it's, it's many of the same things. I'm not going to leave the house without my wallet or my purse. And I'm not going to leave my house without some cash, credit cards. And if you're, well, in some kind of an office job, perhaps, like me, you don't feel right if you don't have a pen or some kind of writing utensil with you. And if you work in the trades, there are certain tools that I, I can't leave the house without having my tape measure or something else with me. This is a tool that I'm going to need throughout the day. And then you, you don't really ask the question, well, now how many times throughout the day am I going to need this? But, but your focus is on this is something that I'm probably going to need throughout the day, so I'm going to take it with me. And there are many people in this world, and, and, and I think in a certain sense we're all like this, who are very concerned about this. What am I going to have at hand when I need it? And there's even what's called everyday carry items, EDC. I'm not promoting this, but you can look online. There are people who promote a lot of time to thinking about now what are the kinds of things you need to carry with you throughout the day. And so now, when you ask the question, the apostle says, pray every day, continue in prayer, pray often during the day. How many times should I pray during the day? Think this way. More than I need a pen, more than I might need a pocket knife today, more than I might need my wallet or anything else, I ought to be thinking throughout the day, I depend upon God. And so I need to have prayer at hand. And so there's no rule, this is the number of times you should pray throughout the day, but, but that's the mindset we ought to have. I'm going to pray daily, and then I'm going to pray often throughout the day. And then, thirdly, we need to adopt an attitude of prayer in the whole of our lives. You cannot spend the whole of your life formally in prayer. And you know what I mean. There has to be time every day and throughout the day when verbally you speak to God. There ought to be time throughout the day when you're directing your thoughts to God, maybe in a nonverbal prayer. But, but you can't Spend the whole of your day in those set times where you're speaking to God or directing your thoughts to God in prayer. And yet, you are to have an attitude throughout the whole of your day and everything you're doing throughout the day of 
prayer. The apostle in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. And, and there's where in connection with this verse, continue in prayer, the apostle saying, this ought to be characteristic of your whole life. When you pray, what are you doing? You're humbling yourself before God. Well, do that in the whole of your life, all throughout the day, and, and apply that to work, all the activities of work, employer, employee, imply that to the home, apply that to the school, apply that to the way that you relate to your spouse, humble yourself before God, depend upon God, have that attitude, I have a great calling to live as a Christian in all that I'm doing this day, and I need strength, grace from God to be able to do this. And there's the connection to this verse and what the apostle has called for in the previous verses. You have a high calling to be a Christian man, a Christian woman, a Christian young person, to put off the old man and to put on the new man. You have a high calling to love the fellow members of the church. You have a high calling in your family life, in your work life. And how are you going to fulfill that calling to walk according to who you are in Jesus Christ? Pray. Depend upon God for your strength in all your life. So here are the three building blocks. And hopefully even the little children can bring these things home. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to pray often throughout the day. And I'm going to adopt a prayer-like attitude in all my life. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. To watch here is to be alert. The apostle in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 6 says, therefore let us not sleep, don't sleep, as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Be awake, be alert, be focused, with your attention, with your mind in prayer. I think maybe the clearest way to illustrate this would be something like telling a teenager, now when you drive, don't sleep, watch. And that doesn't mean merely be awake and then daydream or let your mind wander, but as you're driving down the road, and as there are many other cars on the road, it may be raining, it may be snowing, pay attention, watch and drive. And so here the, the Lord is saying this to us with regard to prayer. This is going to require effort, work, focus, thought. And part of what the apostle is calling for is prayer that is attentive to what's going on in your life. Prayer that is attentive to what dangers you are facing. Prayer that is attentive to what's going on in the life of your family or in the life of the church. Prayer that is aware of the needs of others. The Lord doesn't want vain repetitions, the same prayers with the same generalities every time we pray, but we're going to see in a moment He wants specifics. He wants you to look at what your need is right now and bring that to him in prayer. Watch and 
pray. With thanksgiving. That goes along with watching, being alert, mindful, focused. Don't ever pray without being aware of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and in all of your life. When things are going well in your life, who do you have to thank? God. For what? For everything. For the apostle says in another place, there isn't anything that you have that wasn't given to you by God. But what about when things are not going so well in your life? The apostle says, remember my bonds. He says in the text, I'm a prisoner for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think you would agree with me that the apostle had things not going so well in his life. All that he might have wanted to be going on in his life really isn't happening. He wants to be a, a preacher of the gospel who's free to go and spread the word. He doesn't have that freedom. And all that you might think, now Paul, what do you not want to have happen in your life? That's happening. And Paul would say, I don't want to be in prison. I don't want to be in house arrest, chained to Roman guards. That's the apostle who writes in every prayer, do it watching and with thanksgiving. And I think in Philippians 4, the apostle gives us help and understanding how can you do that? How can you do that when you're in prison? How can you do that when you have cancer or someone you love has cancer? How can you do that when you're in circumstances that seem like everything is going the opposite of what you would think is good? Remember, you're saved in Jesus Christ. When your life changes for the worse, this didn't change, did it? Christ died for you. He paid for your sins. He gave you the hope of eternal life. So whenever you go to God in prayer, remember what he has done for you in Jesus Christ and be thankful and then be thankful for prayer. There are many people who when life is difficult who really have no hope. They have no help. They have no one to turn to. You're never in that situation. Even in a prison cell, the apostle is saying, I have prayer. And I can call out to my God. Think of what an amazing thing that is and be thankful. Imagine... 
that you were by the beach and there was a king who had his palace there, maybe by Lake Michigan. And it's a glorious palace, many stories high. The king is enthroned in majesty. And how amazed you would be to hear some of the grains of sand outside of the castle, specks of dust, crying out to this king for help. You'd say, be quiet. You grains of sand, you're not important enough for that king to listen to you. And, and beloved, that's what we are. Little tiny specks of dust crying out to God in prayer. That's astounding. But then now imagine this. The king opens the door of his castle and he comes near to those little grains of sand. And even as the Bible puts it, inclines his ear, bends his ear towards these grains of sand and says, yes, yes, I I want you to pray to me. Yes, I want you to cry out to me. Yes, I'm listening and I will hear you and answer you. Be thankful for prayer. Continue in prayer, watching and with thanksgiving. There's the general instruction of the apostle in the text. Now he comes with a specific request and the apostle is practicing what he preaches. He says, I want you to be watchful. I want you to be aware of specific needs. And I want you to bring them to God. And here he is. He's saying to the church, and I, I am watchful. I'm aware of a need. A need for prayers for me, for us, for fellow laborers, ministers of the gospel, missionaries, missionary helpers. Pray for us. With all praying for us, verse 3, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. And then verse 4, that I make it, may make it manifest as I ought to speak. The apostle is humble. The apostle is recognizing that he depends upon the Lord. And he's recognizing that it's not only important for him to be praying in dependence upon God, but he's saying this is a need for the entire church to be praying for those who are the servants of God called to proclaim his word. And so, he again does not request the congregation do this, but he commands it. Pray for opportunities for the word to be uttered, to be spoken, to be preached. And the understanding of the apostle here is in the congregation, but also in a mission setting. God is sovereign, and in his providence, he arranges all the circumstances when there are opportunities for the word to be preached and for people to hear the word. So don't take that for granted. The Lord tonight is the one who is giving us this opportunity to be together 
to have the word preached and to hear his word. And, and I, as a pastor and every minister and every missionary, needs to, to take this to heart. If I want to be able to speak the word to someone, the congregation, or to someone in an evangelistic setting, before I go off and just try to preach the word, I ought to, to pray, Lord, give the opportunity, open the door. And you ought to think about that too. Praying for ministers, for missionaries, but even in a setting where maybe there's someone you want to speak the word to before you set off and say, now I need to seek an opportunity and I know, need to go speak the word. Pray for it. Ask the Lord to arrange the circumstances. And ask the Lord to make that person ready to hear you. And ask the Lord to make you ready to speak. And part of the prayer can be this. I think the apostle is asking for this. Pray that there will be opportunities, but pray for me that I will be prepared to recognize the opportunity. I think sometimes that's why we miss the opportunity to speak to people. We're, we're not of a frame of mind. The most important thing for me to do is to tell others about Jesus Christ, and there may be an opportunity to tell someone about Christ, and we didn't even see it. So pray for that mindset to seek opportunities and to see them when they come. And then secondly, pray for the boldness, the courage to use that opportunity to speak. Sometimes that's where we fail too. The opportunity is there. But for whatever reason, I'm too afraid to speak. Pray, knowing your dependence on God, that He would give the boldness to speak. And the Apostle Paul needed that too. And every minister of the gospel needs that. Pray that there may be opportunity and then the power or the strength to, to take that opportunity to speak the mystery of Jesus Christ. And here I believe that the Apostle is speaking about the, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. I, I want to be able to speak about Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners to sinners. In chapter 1, he speaks of the mystery of the, the gospel, the mystery of God, that God has made known now. God had hidden it before, but God has made it known now that salvation is to Gentiles as well as to Jews. But, but here, the apostle isn't thinking so much, this is what I want to be able to declare, that God is saving Jews and Gentiles, but he's focusing on the gospel. This is what people need to hear. They're sinners. They need to hear that that they are guilty before God, that wrath is coming, but they need to hear that there is salvation for sinners who believe in Jesus Christ. Beloved, let's pray that that may be uttered from this pulpit constantly and in the mission field for the building up of the church in faith, and for the conversion of lost sinners. The true gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 4, that doesn't come out so clearly, perhaps in the King James, no pun intended, but in other translations, the, the 
translation of verse 4 is that I may make it clear, that I may speak with clarity. In the world, and sometimes even in the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its truth and clarity is obscured by the, the vain philosophies of men. And that's happening in Colossae. There are false teachers coming in. No, it's not all just about Christ, but there's the worship of angels and there's other things that you need to do if you really want salvation from God. And, and part of what the church at Colossae needs to be reminded is, no, this is what you need. You need Jesus Christ. You need him for redemption to pay for your sin. You need him to be living in you by his spirit. You need all your hope, all your life to be wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He's your only hope. And so people look for salvation in many strange ways. Back then in Colossae, there were people who were looking for salvation partly from angels. Today, in the world and in the church too, we can get caught up in looking for salvation in strange ways. Caught up in the fads of the world. This isn't so far-fetched, you know. My salvation is going to be in this new diet plan. My hope is in this new financial plan. My hope is in something of this world that is finally going to give me health and happiness and prosperity. And no, there's nothing wrong with having a financial plan or a diet plan or an exercise plan. But, but none of those things bring salvation to the soul, hope for eternal life. Jesus Christ, crucified, and faith in Jesus Christ, that's the plan of God for the salvation of sinners. That's it. And now, what we need to pray is that that word will be preached, and that that word will be effective. And where there is a church, where there is a powerful teaching ministry, understand what the apostle is saying. This doesn't depend just upon the minister. Oh, that the church would have men who are gifted, men who are great speakers, men who can study the Bible, men who can stand in the pulpit or in the mission field and eloquently proclaim the word of God. And when the church has that, then people will be built up in faith. Then lost sinners will be gathered into the church and saved. No. Where the church has a powerful and effective ministry of the word... That's not just because a Paul has been sent who is gifted and qualified by God to speak the word, but where there's a powerful and effective ministry of the preaching of the word, it's because there are people in their homes, in their prayer closets, praying for the ministers, praying for the preaching of 
the word, praying that that word will be a power of God unto salvation for his people. So pray for me. Pray for us, plural. For fellow ministers, missionaries, for those who are called by God to bring the message of Jesus Christ in clarity. And may that message be heard here tonight. Should we pray that the husbands here will be faithful? We should. Should that be preached? Yes, there's room for preaching that. Should we pray for wives to be faithful? Submitting to their husbands. For children to be obedient. Should we pray that, that masters be godly and that employees be godly? Yes, there are many things that we should pray for and that can be preached on. But most of all, this is what we need to hear. Not ten steps to be a better Christian or ten steps to be a better husband. Believe in Jesus Christ. And when you embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm a forgiven sinner for Christ's sake. But then, that will lead to the Christian living that you're called to as those in whom Christ dwells. This is my prayer for the young people, for the young adults, for people in trials, for people dealing with temptations, for people who are overwhelmed with their calling in life. This really is what you need to believe in Jesus Christ and to be transformed by the knowledge that you are saved by Him. And this is effective. The preaching of the word and prayer for the preaching of the word that sinners might be saved and know Jesus Christ, this is what turns the world upside down. I only want to make this point briefly, but in the previous verse, verse 1 of chapter 4 and the end of chapter 3, the apostle addresses slaves and masters, and it's noticed by people that the apostle doesn't come and say, and slavery is sinful. I condemn slavery. He doesn't do that. And the apostle doesn't address all the societal or cultural issues of the society and say, now here are the evils in society, and, and we need to go about renewing culture and making the society better. And there are people who are critical of the Apostle Paul and maybe critical of you as a Christian. Don't, why don't you ever talk about changing the culture, fixing society? Why are you always talking about Jesus Christ and salvation from sin in Him and believing in Him? Don't you care about being effective to change the world? People who talk that way don't understand. This is what changes the world. This is what changes a man, a woman, an individual child's life. I'm a saved sinner. 
And now, if I was a tyrant before as a husband or a father, I may not behave that way anymore. And now if I treated my slave like a piece of property that I could do whatever I want with, I may not behave that way anymore. And I'm not going to delve into this to try to prove this or take a strong position on this, but there are those who will say that if you want to know what the most powerful force for change in society and throughout the history of the world, it's the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached. When the Christian faith spread throughout Europe and all of the world, this is what brought change in societies. And there are people who even say, you want to know in the end what brought down slavery. It doesn't start with Abraham Lincoln. But it probably goes all the way back to the Apostle Paul and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the influence of Christian thinking in the world. You want to see Christians have an influence in the world? Then this is what we ought to pray for. That the truth of Christ is preached, and that that truth will be believed on by the people of God. That they will live as those redeemed by Jesus Christ. This is a timely admonition for us to continue in prayer. Do we need it more than Paul did? Prayer? Do we need it more than the Christians did in Colossae? From a certain point of view, the answer is no. We all are in great need of prayer, and no one's need of prayer is greater than any others. We all need to depend upon God in prayer. We all need to worship God in prayer. We all need grace and strength from God in prayer. We all need to confess our sins in prayer. We all need to pray for our families, for the church. We need prayer greatly. But in order to make the point, I'm going to say it.